Hello, everybody. This is Parrish Alford with the Daily Journal. I'm joined by Theo DeRosa of the Columbus Commercial Dispatch and Michael Katz, our Ole Miss beat writer. We're talking Mississippi State and Ole Miss here on another edition of the Justify Your Existence podcast, the uh, end of camp edition, getting close there, game week's coming up. Uh, Both of these teams start uh, a week from this coming Saturday on September the 3rd. Guys, how's it going? It's going well. Mississippi State gearing up for that season opener against Memphis, and I think there's a lot of optimism in Starkville right now. You have an experienced team led by Will Rogers and nearly the entire defense returning, a lot of skill players as well. Unlike Ole Miss, you know, there's an entrenched quarterback and you kind of know who's going to start and you kind of know who's going to play. And I think that leads to a lot of optimism right now at Mississippi State. Well, Michael, do you know who's going to start at Ole Miss? I think we all have guesses. Yeah, I think we all have guesses, which means none of us are going to be right. Kincaid Dent is going to start. It's it's uh they're it's funny because like every day we keep getting these like new social media posts from like every other team announcing like QB one, including right. John Rice Plumley uh, a couple days ago at Central Florida, and it's like I keep like I I wake up in a cold sweat at like two in the morning hoping I didn't miss Ole Miss football tweeting out the post, but it has not happened yet, and uh, I, I you know I don't know if it's gonna happen more. I I. I feel like it has to happen Monday, right? Like, it's, uh, the, the but you know what? Maybe it's a it's a TBD. I know University of Wyoming just has TBA written uh, for their quarterback, and they played uh, on Saturday, so it's uh, it's it's interesting times. You you know the only uh, point of reference that uh, that we have for Lane Kiffin and a quarterback competition at Ole Miss is 2020 uh, when he told us that the competition between Matt Corral and John Rice Plumley was close. I mean, he felt like it was uh, it was somewhat close. Well, Corral just blew everybody away in that opener against Florida that year. Had a great game. The Rebels didn't win, but uh, he and the offense looked really good. John Rice Plumley, the other guy in that competition, he played those first couple of games. Not much, okay? It wasn't an alternating series thing. But Lane Kiffin did play two quarterbacks. So, I, you know, based on that, maybe it's possible that uh, uh, if if Jackson Dart is the starter, that we see Luke Altmaier for a little bit or, or vice versa. Uh, Theo, interesting camp at Mississippi State. I think we expected the defense to be good with this team. Uh, expected the offense to be good, too. And it seems like defense has had the upper hand most times, uh, the scrimmages I've seen, the quarterbacks have been around 50% with the completion rate. Looks to me like some energy and maybe some improvement on the back end of that defense. Uh, what, what do you make of what you're seeing in these scrimmages so far? Yeah, I think the second scrimmage was an encouraging sign as far as the offense taking probably a much-needed step, at least after the first one. I think the last week of camp that we saw uh, open practices closed last Saturday with the scrimmage. I think the offense, you know, got back to where it needs to be. And I think that's what Mississippi State fans needed to see. Now, having said that, that defense is really good. I think the D-line is among the best in the country, as at least in terms of experience, if not in terms of talent. The linebackers pretty much all return. And the secondary, you've got some new pieces. Jackie Matthews from West Virginia, Marcus Banks from Alabama. Emmanuel Forbes is back at cornerback. You did see the defense 
getting the upper hand in that first week of camp, maybe the first two weeks. But I think the offense has closed the gap, and I think that's a good sign for MSU. Well, that, that is a good sign. I mean, you look at uh, Will Rogers' production last season, and, and you figure that, okay, well, they, they've got an established quarterback returning. They're going to be okay on offense again. I think the experiment of uh, Dollar Bill Johnson there at left tackle, I think that's that's gone okay in camp. Um, when the defense has gotten pressure, it, it hasn't, like, come exclusively from one spot. What do you make of these receivers right now? It doesn't seem like, at least to me, that anyone has has really emerged uh, as they look to replace the production of Makai Polk. I think you're right. I don't think it's going to be one guy replacing Makai Polk. I think it might be four or five guys stepping up. And combined, I'm not sure if they can step up enough to replace a guy who had 105 catches and over 1,000 yards and nine touchdowns for that team. I don't think it'll be any one guy, but if you have a combination of Jaden Wally, Austin Williams, Caleb Ducking might step in, Tulu Griffin, Rara Thomas competing at the other spot, Rufus Harvey, who's been kind of the standout of camp so far. I think between those guys, they can do an adequate job, but you're right. There's no one guy who's going to be that reliable target and replace Polk completely. Yeah, Rufus Harvey was impressive uh, in, in the last scrimmage. Michael, talk to me a little bit more about these quarterbacks here. Um just based on seeing a little bit, reading the tea leaves more, uh, do you have one above the other right now? Who do you think starts? If we're going by what we saw at that scrimmage a couple of weeks ago, and I know a lot has happened since then, not a lot that we're allowed to see, and I think that's obviously by design. You know, last week's scrimmage was closed. This weekend's scrimmage is going to be closed. Practice has been uh, you know, access is cut down to the very start. And that's, you know, what happens this time of year. But uh, if we're going by what we saw at that scrimmage, Jackson Dart was by far the better quarterback. Um, he was, he didn't, you know, the thing with him has been, is he going to turn the ball over? He has the sort of gunslinger um, uh, reputation that precedes him. And he did not turn the ball over at all in the scrimmage. He threw a couple of wow deep balls that uh, you know, Luke Altmaier, I think, is a really, really good player, but there are just some throws that Jackson can make that Luke Altmaier can't in terms of uh, those deep balls and, and doing things on the move. Um, and that's nothing as Luke Altmaier. Luke Altmaier has looked very good, but in that scrimmage, he did turn the ball over a little bit. Um, and I think the thing with him has been, you know, he's kind of the steady hand. And, you know, in that scrimmage that we saw, he wasn't uh, so much more of a steady hand that it, it would put him ahead of Dart. So I, I've always kind of been on the side that it's going to be Jackson Dart if it's close. Um, and I, I, I think it would I, I think it would be an upset if it's not Dart. But, uh, you know, I, we've we've all been wrong in this business before. But if we're going by by what we saw at that scrimmage, I, I, I think it, I think it's going to be Dart. Well, and you know what? In 2020, when when Lane did play two quarterbacks in the first couple of games, those were quarterbacks with a different skill set. You know, Plumlee was clearly the runner and was very effective at it uh, in 2019, leading the SEC uh, in rushing yards per game. I don't get that with these two quarterbacks. If Dart is the starter, if Dart wins the competition, I don't know that you gain a whole lot by putting – Luke Altmaier in. I don't. There's not just that different skill set that you're that you're really getting. So maybe uh, maybe it would be Dart uh, the whole way. And if it's not, maybe it would be a signal that hey, this competition was uh, was closer uh, closer than we thought. Um, 
Tell me about receivers, just like at State, man. I, I haven't seen anyone, any one guy really, really jump up and, and, and say, I, I'm it. I'm that guy this year. Um, what do you see in that competition? It strikes me as the type of, like, when we look at the final stats for the year, it's going to be a lot of guys with, like, 400 or 500 receiving yards, just, like, really spread out production among guys. And those guys look like they are going to be, uh, you know, Robinson, the former Central Florida receiver, Watkins, former Louisville receiver, and, of course, Malik Heath, who has looked really, really good at times um, uh, for, for Ole Miss, just being kind of that big physical uh, guy who can go up and get the ball. I, I think among those three guys, and then obviously Michael Trigg is, is the piece that I think everybody's really excited about, just seeing what he can do, uh, not just at tight end, but lined up, you know, pretty much anywhere, just with his with his size and speed and frame. Uh, I, I, yeah, I, I, I don't see it being like a, a, an Elijah Moore where one guy just dominates the production or even, you know, Drummond last year dominated the production, ended up being that way, not by design, but just by kind of Braylon Sanders getting hurt and everybody kind of getting hurt toward the end. Um, I, I, I think it's going to be pretty spread around and I, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's, it's a, it's a talented room. It's, it's a room that doesn't have a lot of production at Ole Miss, but it's got a lot of production in college, and I think that's important, and I think it'll kind of figure itself out. You, yeah, you mentioned Michael Trigg. What's it like covering a team that actually uses a tight end? And more to the point, how well do you think he can fit into this offense? He's uh, – I remember the first time we saw him at practice in the spring, and, like, we all looked at each other and we were like, this is like when – like the 17 year old, like is playing pop Warner. Like he just looks different than everybody else. He's just big. He's built. He makes the fantastic play. He just does, uh, you know, Lane kind of scoffed because someone, someone mentioned brought up Kyle Pitts, who of course is a superstar now in the NFL and Lane did not love that comparison. That was a little bit premature. Uh, but when you look at just sort of, you know, body type and the athleticism and the sort of way you can line a guy up, I think he's really exciting. He, is not a not a secret. I'm a USC grad, so I've seen a lot of Michael Trigg. I've seen a lot of Jackson Dart. Uh, I thought Michael Trigg was going to be like the next star at USC, and then obviously USC did USC things, uh, and so that didn't work out there. Uh, I think he's going to be a really really good player, and you know he he brings a different element that they didn't have last year, and they haven't really had since you know Yabo or, or, or Evan Ingram. Um, uh, you know, last year, Casey Kelly's a really nice player. I, I really like him, but uh, just the dimension that Michael Trey brings is, is just so different from what they had last year. Speaking of position groups that don't get used in Mississippi there, Theo, tell me about running backs at Mississippi State, because I think they look good. And, and so do you think they're going to get used? I mean, I look back at Mike Leach, and I haven't charted every season, the Washington State years and whatnot, but I remember – you know, an impactful running game with some of his Texas Tech teams. Do you think uh, these running backs at uh, at Mississippi State maybe get a few more carries this year? Sorry, what's a running back? No, I'm kidding. Uh, yeah, you're right. Mississippi State doesn't use its running backs very much. And uh, Joe Quavius, Woody Marks, and Dylan Johnson combined for about 900 yards last year. Mississippi State had the fewest rushing yards in the country, the fewest attempts. And that's going to happen when you throw the ball 55 times a game. But I think you saw that they could run effectively when they chose to run, which obviously wasn't often. You had some times where Johnson or Marks would, you know, take a shotgun run and go 10 yards on a second and three. And I think when you're using it 
in that design, you know, short yardage, they can be really effective. Now I can't see Mississippi State suddenly becoming, you know, a run heavy or even a, a run first team. That's never going to happen under Leach. But I think they have the potential certainly to kind of do what they did last year and just pick up some of those big first downs when they need to. But they'll never depend on the run like a lot of teams do. I think they need to become triple option like those old Georgia Tech teams. I think that would be the ultimate foil to everybody. They just come out running 50 times against Memphis. I think that would be the optimal situation. Yeah. Inside receivers coach Drew Hollingshead mentioned yesterday that Mississippi State is tough to prepare for in a way that the triple option is. Obviously, it's a different type of offense and a different type of scheme. But he just said, you know, it's unique. And the way the cowbells, the the crowd noise, just the air raid, it gives teams a different look when they come in. And uh, he compared it to Georgia Tech and the triple option. You know, big big Georgia Tech reference there, Michael. They're on the schedule in week three. I was looking at that a little bit ago. Three wins in each of their first three seasons uh, under Jeff Collins there. Um, that's that's an interesting game, only from the standpoint that it's an intersectional rival that you don't play much. But, uh, yeah, big uh, big Georgia Tech reference there. Hey, uh, Theo, Randy Charlton on this Mississippi State defense got hurt early in camp. You know, we saw him uh, go off. I know that uh, 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 Mike Leach uh, talks about uh, – uh, injuries about the way that uh, the government talks about nuclear launch codes, man. You just, you know, you don't hear much about that from uh, Mike Leach, but we've seen him walking around on the side on practice uh, dressed and, and whatnot. Uh, uh, what kind of impact do you think he makes on this defense? We saw what he did last year, but I'm assuming that he's not going to miss a lot of time. I mean, it's kind of the vibe that I've heard, you know, about his injury, no specifics, but with him and Jordan Davis, who I think could be a wild card, do you think this is a an MSU defense that not only gets around the quarterback this year, but gets him to the ground more? I do. I think the pass rush will be improved. And like you said, that was something that was kind of an issue last season. I just remember the Alabama game, all these blitzes that they never got home and Bryce Young would complete like a 50-yard pass downfield. And I think if you know you're just half a second earlier, you might get some of those sacks that you didn't last year. It sounds like Charlton might be filling in for Jaden Crumedy, who's currently out with an injury. And Charlton could, you know, kind of keep his starting spot, slide over to Crumedy's strong side spot. And that'll get an opportunity to get Davis into the lineup. Davis, you know, a big physical pass rusher, and that's something Mississippi State could really use, especially after last season. I think this D-line is definitely better equipped to generate pressure than it was last year well you know pressure makes a lot of difference Ole Miss had some last year Michael will they have it without Sam Williams this year it's definitely going to look different uh I I do think that Cedric Johnson is going to have a nice year it's I don't think it's fair to say that he's going to put up 12 and a half sacks because uh that had never happened before uh at Ole Miss Uh, you know Sam had an an all-american year and it was it was record-setting um, but I do think that, you know, Cedric Johnson is, is uh, he looks the part, he, he looks bigger, he looks stronger, and he always looked pretty big and strong. Um, I, I think he's primed for, for a pretty big year. Um, and then you look at, you know, guys like Tavius Robinson and, and Jared Ivey, who they brought in, and there's, there's a lot of depth along the defensive line. And again, I don't know if there's going to be the one guy kind of like the receiver's room who who dominates the sack production. 
but I think there's going to be a lot of guys who get sacks. I, I think the defensive line, you know, really for the first time under, you know, Lane Kiffin is, is deep in its strength. And he said as much that, you know, that was one of the goals when he got there was to build up the lines. And I, I think they feel like the defensive line with some of the transfers they've added uh, in the, in the recruiting they've done is finally, you know, S, up to SEC par, because that's where games are won and lost in the SEC. It's not the skill positions. It's everything going on up front. Hey, you touched on this a little bit earlier when you talked about guys who have made plays and had production at other places. A lot of transfers on this team. I really think this is going to be like the litmus test for college football on on whether rebuilding from the portal uh, all the way is, is the thing to do. I don't think there's a position group at Ole Miss that doesn't have a transfer that's expected to make some kind of impact. Have you been able to get a feel for chemistry with these guys and how they are adapting to uh, surroundings and just the, the comfort level of being in a new program? I think what's really helped is that a lot of the guys came in in the spring um, and, and they got that sort of early start and they got the sort of introductory period out of the way. Um, you know, other than I think like Jalen Robinson, I think I don't think Malik Heath was there in the spring either. Um, you know, other than really those two guys, pretty much everyone was there in the spring. And so I think that helped. And just kind of talking to everybody, it, it, it seems like a, a, a pretty close group um, just in terms of chemistry. I don't think it's 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 going to be any sort of um, awkward situation. Obviously, you know, when you think back to last year's team, the leadership, Matt Corral and everything that he did in terms of leading the troops. Yeah, you're going to be missing that. And it kind of remains to be seen who picks that up. Um, but I don't think that's that sort of void is, is is because of transfers or anything like that. I just think it's Matt Corral is a rare leader and it'll kind of we'll see what happens, who ends up filling up, you know, taking that spot. I think it's going to might be defensive guys at this point with guys like A.J. Finley and Cedric Johnson. And I guess on the offensive line, Nick Broker has kind of been the spokesman uh, for the offense. Uh, but, you know, if, if you're looking at the chemistry, I, th I think it's everyone has said it's pretty good. They've they've. Lane always talks about that sort of blended family of how they've kind of they make it work and they make people feel comfortable and, and they, they welcome people in. And, uh, you know, it's it's the island of misfit toys and it all kind of fits together. Yeah, you mentioned a little bit ago, Malik Keith, obviously kind of inconsistent at Mississippi State for a couple of years, had some off field issues. How good has he looked in this fall and what role can he have on this on this team? He's looked really good. Uh, he has looked big and strong and physical. And when you look at the receivers, they brought in a lot of them are kind of on the smaller side, more like slot guys or speed guys. Um, Jalen Robinson is I think five, nine Jordan Watkins is probably around five, 10, five, 11. Um, not, not big framed guys. Uh, Malik Heath adds a different element that I think is going to be really big. A guy who can win the jump ball, uh, a guy who, you know, I know the thing with him has been the, like you said, the consistency in catching the ball, uh, for the most part, you know, from what we've seen, it, he's he's been pretty good. Um, and I sort of think he brings a little bit of a, a swagger and attitude. Like he's he's John with his own like defensive backs. And like it's like I think that's I think that that's not a bad thing for them to have a little bit of an attitude um, to have a guy who, uh, you know, is chirping and that kind of stuff. I, I, I think he's looked really good it's hard to know how many passes he's going to catch and all that kind of stuff, but I think he's going to play a really big part. 
Guys, it's never too early in Mississippi to start talking about uh, the Egg Bowl, but uh, let's not get away from who's going to win or lose the Egg Bowl. But, Theo, in your mind, uh, what does what would it mean for Mike Leach to get a win in this series in November? I mean, in so many ways right now, you can sense momentum in this program. I know John Cohen got behind him with the contract uh, in the offseason. He's 0-2 in this game. What uh, what does that mean to Mike Leach in, in this program right now? It's funny. If Personally, to Mike Leach, I'm not sure that it means that much. I don't think he puts any special emphasis on winning these rivalry games. He didn't really do it very well at Washington State. They lost to Washington in the Apple Cup almost every year. And I don't know that he personally puts that much emphasis on the Egg Bowl. But for the program, it would be a big step. I think. The fans want to have that Egg Bowl win, that rivalry win to instill some confidence in themselves when it comes to Leach and the direction the program is headed in. And I think this is honestly a year where they're set up pretty well to win it or at least to compete in it in Oxford. I think it would be pretty significant to Leach into the program to get that win this year. But it should be, you know, a pretty closely contested game. And by the end of the season, you never really know what's going to happen. No, no, you never know at, at this point. But you're right. Uh, he doesn't put a lot of emphasis on one game above the other. I, I get that. But he's intelligent. Uh, he's a smart guy. And he's he's got to see that uh, if it doesn't matter to him, it still does matter uh, to the people uh, around him. The flip side of that, Michael, uh, you know, Ole Miss fans were, were kind of beaten down in this series a lot under Dan Mullen. And uh, now it's it's turned. It's turned a little bit uh, for uh, for the Rebels. So, what do you make of uh, Lane Kiffin in this series? I mean, I, I would say it's the same thing. I don't think he puts a lot of stock uh, in the rivalry either. But uh, but they've played well in these games. Yeah, it's always kind of hard to gauge how much like enthusiasm Lane Kiffin puts into anything because he's just generally sort of uh, on, on the drier end and doesn't necessarily exude a ton of. Uh, emotion or anything um but you know like you said they've they've played well in these games and and they've made the plays they need to make in those games and um yeah i mean i i, I it's I, I don't know if i can say that he puts extra stock you know like there's some coaches that really talk up a game uh you know beforehand i don't think he's ever gonna do that about any game there's that's just kind of his personality and i think it's sort of you know, Mike Leach in that regard, they're not going to put a whole ton of stock in one game because it's one game and uh, they count as much as all the other ones to an extent. Uh, but no, they, they have played well in the Egg Bowl. And, and <clears throat> I think it being back in Oxford, uh, I don't think you ever want to lose it here either. Uh, they've, they haven't lost the home game here in a while. So, uh, you know, if they did somehow, you know, run the uh, table undefeated at home, a little bit doubtful given that Alabama's coming here. Um, but, you know, I, I don't think anyone would want to see it end against uh, Mississippi State. Now, and you mentioned making the plays, and, and I look back at last year, and, uh, yeah, it just at the critical juncture, they seem to make the plays. And I'm thinking, you know, Lane did one of those weird, uh, I'm going to go forward on the 30-yard line uh, early in the game, and they were able to uh, hold the Bulldogs to a field goal there. And then late in the first half, uh, State with a chance to uh, to really cut into the lead, gain some momentum, and – Missed those, missed a couple of passes, which I think were more about drops than uh, than, than brilliant play. But uh, you know, it all it all adds up. 
uh, it has uh, has been interesting. I, I think uh, it's been fun, though, in this rivalry just to watch these coaches who, you know, I, I don't think don't care about the rivalry is, is the right way to frame it because I think they know what it means to their fans. But uh, just to watch how they have uh, gotten along with each other, you know, it's, it's just there's the, the hate's not there. And uh, in the Dan Mullen and Hugh Freeze years, it was always it seemed like Mullen was always pushing the buttons, but Freeze would always respond. He couldn't like not respond. And uh, so interesting times uh, there. Uh, you guys uh, have uh, been around this this massive uh USC UCLA rivalry uh, there for you, Michael. And who's the rivalry there in Sacramento that you grew up with, Theo? You two California guys, man. What 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 was college football rivalry around you there? Uh, there is no real college football rivalry in Sacramento. I mean, Sac State plays in the Big Sky. I mean, what Montana? <laughs> no, uh, it's not really a big college football locale. You know, we have the consistently successful and stable Sacramento Kings, and that's about it. Um, yeah, when I, yeah. <laughs> I, I think I would hear Sacramento State's name when uh, when Northeast Louisiana, now Louisiana Monroe, was winning these water skiing championships. Am I right? Do they have a big – is there a water skiing program there at uh, Sacramento State? Not that I know of. There's a very cold lake about half an hour away. Okay. So if there was some water skiing, it was probably – like some, Somebody out in California was uh, was was a big rivalry uh, there as, as we were bringing home those uh, water skiing – national championships and they're still doing it uh, by the way uh what did you guys talk about uh, i was gonna say i'm a big 10 guy now just for the record as a as a lifelong big 10 usc guy well tell me just about uh and this is such a big cultural exchange for me man you know i've not spent much time uh in california i've been out there a couple of times and it's always been work related went out uh uh, to uh, Fullerton, the Los Angeles area with Mississippi State for a Super Regional back in 2002. Uh, covered uh, Ole Miss at Cal and, and experienced the northern side uh, a few years ago and, and went actually with uh, Mississippi State's women out to uh, to Oregon uh, and, you know, saw the, uh, the Pacific uh, out there for uh, March Madness many years ago in the Sharon Fanning years there at Mississippi State, but uh, you guys uh, uh, making the cross-country uh, run over here to cover some football, what what have been your impressions about uh, the SEC and, and about Mississippi? Uh, Theo, why don't you start us off? Well, I think the biggest thing that surprised me was just the emphasis on college baseball down here at Mississippi State, but when it comes to football, I mean, it's obviously a passionate fan base. I've, the Cowbells, you know, as loud as advertised, definitely. And just the quality of the teams that come in here week in and week out, you can tell what a grind it must be playing eight SEC games in a season. And it'll be interesting to kind of go to Arizona in a few weeks and see how that is. I know you were in Tucson last year with baseball at Ole Miss, but uh, that'll be interesting. But it can't, you know, measure up to the SEC games, except Vanderbilt that I've seen so far. Yeah, no, it's I, I there, there's two big things that I've noticed here. One, there's something really cool about like on a Saturday or whenever the game is like knowing where everybody in that specific town is going to be or what they're going to be doing. They're going to be at the game or they're going to be watching the game at their local watering hole or at home with family. 
Like, you don't get that in Los Angeles. Everybody's doing something else. They're rooting for a bunch of different teams or they just don't care. Um, and so, I don't know. There's, there, I, I I feel like I, I sort of expected it, but it's it's really cool to see how invested people are when it's it is the it's the biggest and kind of only show in town. I mean, this is uh, you can't. I don't think Oxford miss exists without Ole Miss. And I think that's really really cool. The other thing is, um, I don't think I ever looked at a weather report once when I lived in California. Um, I find myself doing that a lot these days. Yeah, I tell you what, man. I, it helps to know what time the shower's coming. Uh, if you're going to get that pop-up shower, and uh, look, uh, you you got to know your weather guy, man. When uh, when it's tornado season uh, in these parts, so folks, that'll wrap us up for this edition of Justify Your Existence, talking all things Mississippi State and Ole Miss for Theo DeRosa and Michael Katz. I am Parrish Alford. Thanks for being with us. <laughs>